Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, welcome to the Courtney Turner Podcast. I am here today live with Scott Shara, and uh, we're going to talk about the tragic case of his daughter and what he is doing to expose some of the, really, the atrocities that are occurring right now and how they're using psychological warfare against us to commit what it really looks like democide. So, Without further ado, how are you doing today, Scott? Well, I'm doing surprisingly well. It's uh, neat to be here on a Friday, especially. Uh, this has been an intense week. We had a lot of legal maneuvering and a lot of things happening with Grace's case. And yeah, I've had about a dozen interviews. So this is a, this is a big, been a big week. Amazing. Well, I, I have to really commend you on your spirit and that you are really turning this into, which is, I, I just have so much compassion for what you're going through. And I'm so grateful that you are taking this as an opportunity to really expose what's happening and to help save other lives. So I just wanted to start by sharing that. Well, thanks. I mean, God is the one who opened the door, you know, after Grace was, was dead, you know, you start wondering, what are we going to do? Right. And you know, as I started investigating and you see, okay, she didn't just die. She was killed. And at that time I didn't realize she was murdered, but then we, my wife and I were listening to a podcast by Jan Markell. And at that point I had already been on Newsmax. So that was just two months after Grace died. And then Jan brought up our story, you know, and I had no idea our story was even getting traction. And so then we, we told God at that point, whatever doors you open, we'll walk through. And boy, oh boy, has he opened up doors. And, you know, they're not easy to walk through some of them. But you sure. once, you know, once you know you're responsible to do it, it's just, it becomes, it becomes his deal. And so that's, that's why I am now a full-time advocate, activist, researcher. You know, I spend about, uh, you know, roughly... 75, 80 hours a week on this. And, you know, I would say in the neighborhood of 10 to 20 hours a week is working on the lawsuit. And then I have maybe uh, 25 hours a week on interviews. And then the balance of the time is researching. And the researching is, is really the most important. And we'll talk about that toward the end, because last week on Wednesday, we released a national press release announcing that medical murder is the number one cause of death. Yeah. By design, by design, that's what's critical. And that takes about 2,000 hours of research, and I put it into a seven-part series, and wow. we're recording one part a week. Amazing. So that's what's going on. That's what's going on in my life right now. So it's it's been way more than 75 hours a week the last three weeks. It's been 
uh, approaching a hundred, but it is what it is. I mean, I'm not, I don't want, I don't want people to look at that as woe is me. That's not the deal. You know, right. you're, I've started three businesses from scratch. So I've done this before. You know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes there's hundred hour weeks and you just got to give her because it, it's important. And right now it is, you know, we're talking about people's lives. So, yes. I mean, we're, that's why we're giving her it. it yeah, every, every time we can save a life, I mean, it is, this is a big deal. Without a doubt, without a doubt. So for the, those who might not be familiar with your story, would you mind sharing what sure. happened and how you discovered that it was medical murder? Well, first I, I just, I'm going to introduce Grace because, yeah. you know, if Grace was never here, this would, mm -hmm. you know, I would have never met you. And right. so Grace was uh, brought mm -hmm. into this world on September 22nd of 2002. We just celebrated her 21st birthday last Friday. Mm -hmm. And uh, she, she was an absolute gift. Uh, she, uh, even you know, what's interesting is how she came into the world is how she went out because the medical profession at that time, we had never done any of the testing. So yeah. when she came out, I said to my wife, I said, I think she has Down syndrome. And we thought, well, that's, that's fine. We didn't think anything of it. And the doctors then had this huddle and they came in shortly after that and said, we suspect your daughter has Down syndrome. Do you want to keep her? So, you know, you think through that. And then, of course, at the end here now, when she, her last day on earth was October 13th of 2021. And I wholeheartedly believe she was murdered because she had Down syndrome. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. yeah I'm going to prove that, you know, with, with the research that I've done, you know, in this, a little bit in this show. I mean, all the research is on Grace's website. So anybody that looks at that, the people who have looked at it objectively have said many times, if people can't conclude what you're telling, they're blind. Um, right. I post all the research on the website. It isn't that I'm trying to hide it. It's it's right there, <laughs> the documents, everything. So, right. you know, so now we go back to just a brief synopsis of Grace's life. Uh, we homeschooled Grace and mainly my wife homeschooled Grace. Mm -hmm. She's, her name is Cindy. She knocked it out of the park and that, you know, Grace was super high functioning because God made her that way. Grace was never vaccinated with anything. And I think that contributed to her being high functioning. But then, you know, my wife's ability to homeschool, Grace could public speak. She could read and write. Uh, you know, she, I taught her how to drive a car. She deer hunted with me. She played violin, everything. And, wow. you know, just to get you know, read the, the public speaking, I'll just, she had quite a sense of humor. So she adopted my literal sense of humor. And I, I, what mm -hmm. popped into my mind when I just said public speaking is one of the funniest things. Uh, and I'll just share this so you can get kind yeah. of a flavor of grace. So she had to do this report. So she had a, a minute and a half public speech that she had to give in. They did a homeschool co-op. So she's supposed to, it was on Thursdays. And so Wednesday night, dad, can you help me with this? And <laughs> and she's really not prepared. She wasn't prepared. So I said, well, Grace, you really aren't, you're not ready for this at all. So I said, I'm going to, I'm going to show you how you can do it and you can get away with not being prepared. So you do your speech in sloth because you only mm -hmm. have a minute and a half. So then, yeah, I showed her this. And so then we practiced. I showed her good morning class. <laughs> so then she, she adopted that. So then, of course, you don't have to, you only have to prepare your first line because you do it in sloth. It takes the whole minute and a half, right? 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So she she just she just loved that type of humor and and we would banter it between ourselves regularly. Well, anyway, we fast forward now to Grace's death. She went into the hospital on October 6th of 2021. This is the height of when people were being murdered in the hospital. And, you know, of course, I've uncovered the reality that they needed to get our hospital deaths very high to put the fear propaganda together so people would take the bioweapon. Yep. So the the reality is at this point, I just want to frame, you know, a lot of people ask, what was what was your thinking at this point? So right. my my view of life, I've been a Christian for roughly 30 years, but I was not awake. So my view of the world was I, I have a healthy distrust for the government. I'm a conservative businessman. So mm-hmm. that's my, my view of the world. Sure. And so, you know, I think the hospital is a safe zone. You know, I, I don't, I've never thought well of hospitals. I thought, well, you never want to go to a hospital unless it's an absolute emergency, right? This isn't a place to get well, but I would have never thought that they're a killing field, not right. in a million years. So I was not awake to any of this. And because, and that's why I share the story now, because if, if one person become, be, can become awake from listening today or sharing this with somebody else, that, yeah. That's a victory. We're standing on Genesis 50, 20, which says what you meant for evil, God meant for good, the saving of many lives, which is happening now. And the yeah. saving of many lives has both a physical component and a spiritual component. And we'll, we'll cover both. Obviously, the physical is what we're talking about now. So if sure. I can share this story and wake people up to what's happening in a hospital, then you can change your belief and be prepared. So the reality is if if I would have been a, awake at that time, Grace would be alive today, period, end of story. I know that with 100% certainty, and I know that because I, as God would have it, I went into a different hospital three days after Grace died, and I just about died on October 16th of 2021. But that hospital turned me around in 24 hours. So I wow. could now see the difference between Grace's care and my care. And mm-hmm. it is, it was 180 degree difference. Really? And that 180 degrees saved me. So first of all, if we would have never taken Grace to the hospital, she'd be alive today. Second of all, if the emergency room physician who, who said to me, Scott, let's check Grace into the hospital for three, four days, put her on oxygen and a steroid, and then she can come home. If they would have just done that, Grace would be alive today, but they didn't do that. So first, you know, we, we, um, we were not awake. At number one, that's why Grace is in the hospital. Number mm-hmm. two is this this spirit of fear. You know, so the propaganda did get to me, you know, up here. And sure. God did not give us the spirit of fear. And the reality is I wasn't relying on God at that point. And, um, you know, with that decision. And what right. I was relying on was the FLCCC protocol. So we, right. we our sense was we were going to get COVID. I mean, I had no idea COVID was a PSYOP. Okay, at this right, point, right. I think I think it's a virus. You know, now I know it wasn't even a virus. But you know, the you know, I'm thinking it's a virus. Okay, so we're prepared. We got all we got ivermectin, vitamins. We have a a pulse ox for your finger. You know, everything that you need, right? So we're all right. prepared. I think I'm doing a good job as a dad. But psychologically, I had bought into this fear narrative, yep. and so okay, boy, my daughter, my you know, she's my best buddy. 
She, mm -hmm. Her oxygen level dropped to 88%. We got to take her to the hospital because the FLCCC protocol says if it drops below 94%, admit yourself to the hospital. Right. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it's so stupid when I look at it now because oxygen saturation drops when you're sick. When you have a cold, right. it drops, right? But I didn't know this. And so that's where I say critical thinking. Well, I checked out of my critical thinking because if I would have been critical thinking, I would have said, why are we even measuring this number? Because we have no baseline, right. right? There's no reason to measure it. And if we would have never measured that number, Grace would be alive today. So I'm bringing these things up because, you know, history repeats itself unless yep. you drill down to the why. And, you know, most of the time, you know, you know, I'm my, my biggest attribute, Courtney, is that I'm a man. And I'm a and man by, I can say dumb man, but that's redundant because, you know, we... <laughs> We, <laughs> I'm glad you're smiling. So this is going to be just so everybody's watching. This is the last day I'm giving my humor away for no charge. After this, I'm going to start charging for it. Got so. it. This is creepy before he starts charging. <laughs> so anyway, you know, I'm a dumb man. And so, you know, as a dumb man, you start, you know, I checked, you know, unfortunately, you know, I checked out of the critical thinking and, what I want everybody to do is you don't want an event to happen. So men, we have to generally have an event happen, which is the equivalent of a club over the head. Once we get the club over the head, we're finally awake, right? right. So I try to share this so that you don't have to be a dumb man like me. You don't need a club. So if you can believe what I'm saying, and more importantly, dig into it. You know, I've got the research posted because you will not be successful at changing your habits unless you change your belief. All right. So now we're into Grace's last week on earth. So now she's, I was with her from October 6th until the 10th. I was taken out by an armed guard on the 10th. We had 47 hours then without an advocate in the room. And during that 47 hours, uh, we found out by looking at the records, they started Grace on a sedation med called Presidex on October 9th. I was taken out on the 10th, 47 hours without advocacy. They sedated my little buddy instead of taking care of her. They increased the dose of Presidex six different times. And then we were able to, we hired an attorney. Uh, that attorney negotiated with the hospital attorney. Yeah, my daughter, Jessica, became a replacement advocate. My wife couldn't do it at the time because she was sick. So now Jessica's in the room for Grace's last two days, the 12th and the 13th. She was actually there part of the 11th too, but it was, I, I don't, it, that, that, that detail doesn't matter. Ultimately, you know, Grace was surprisingly still doing fine in, in spite of being sedated. And so now we we take the turn, turn the page to her last day, October 13th of 2021. That day started about 10 o'clock in the morning. The doctor called my wife, Cindy, and I. Interestingly, in this timeline, Jessica had gone, <clears throat> she had asked the nurse, or she told the nurse, I'm going to take a shower. There's a shower right in the room. When I was there, I took a shower in the room. The nurse insisted that Jessica leave, not stay in the room. And when you piece this together, I think, you know, it makes perfect sense as to why. And this nurse was not a rookie. She had 14 years of ICU experience. So she tells Jessica, you've got to leave. When Jessica comes back, you know, this is, yeah, I mean, this is, is so nefarious. When Jessica comes back, she, she overhears the doctors and nurses in the hallway say the family's not going to like this. So she says, what aren't they going to like? 
And they said, well, we, we had to restrain, which means strap Grace down to the bed while you were gone. And so she said, what's the reason? Well, she wanted to go get out of the bed and go to the bathroom. So we had to strap her down. So they made Grace defecate in the bed. So, you know, what's interesting about that example is that the doctor tells us just the opposite. So he's on the phone with Cindy and I and says, you know, Grace had such a good day yesterday, which of course we knew because of Jessica that we should work on nutrition. Let's get her out of bed. Uh, let's get her watching TV so that in the next three, four days she can be home. Well, they had already strapped her down to the bed when he tells us, let's get her out of bed. Okay. While we're on the phone with him, he writes the order to increase the Presidex to the maximum allowable dose. Simultaneous with hanging up the phone with him, he writes a do not resuscitate order on Grace's chart. We, wow. you know, you look at the timeline, that was eight minutes after increasing the Presidex to the maximum allowable dose. If you look at Grace's death certificate, it says the first cause of death is acute respiratory failure with hypoxemia. If you looked at the Presidex package insert, it says if you use this drug for more than 24 hours, it will cause acute respiratory failure. So it was a direct cause and effect. The second cause of death listed on her death certificate is COVID-19 pneumonia. That's a complete lie. It's a flat out lie. Grace didn't even have COVID, assuming she ever had it at that time because she was beyond the, the window of, you know, the 14 day CDC made up window. She was beyond that. So to say she had COVID is ridiculous. Right. Even if she even originally had it. But they, they received, they, the hospital received a $13,000 death bonus for listing it that way. Of In course. fact, what, how she died was they combined Presidex with lorazepam and morphine in a 29 minute window, which is what you do to euthanize somebody in their last hour of hospice care. So they euthanized her. And when in it less came, than half an hour? In 29 ate. minutes. In a wow. 29 minute window, they did that. Wow. That's and so then when it came time to revive her, Courtney, Jessica was calling, you know, she called Cindy and I had a FaceTime call. She started panicking because after they gave Grace morphine, she got cold. She's, she's begging the nurses come in. They won't come in. They just said cover her with a blanket. So she called us. And so now we're, I said, Jessica, get the nurses in. She said, dad, they won't come in. So we start screaming, save our daughter. She estimated about 30 nurses in the hallway at this point because the shift changed. There was a guard in the hall outside the door. So then they holler back, she's DNR. This is when we're like, holy cow, what is going on? She's not DNR. So then we scream back, she's not DNR, save our daughter. They refused. And so we watched her die on a FaceTime call at 727 on October 13th of 2021. And just so people have a perspective, you know, yeah. when you first hear this, you think, oh my gosh, this is, this is terrible. And it is terrible. Yeah. But this type of thing happened to 1.2 million Americans in that 39 month window to promote an agenda. And because I'm a, a public figure now, people are contacting me all the time with stories. Some of the stories that, I mean, I have seen stories that are three to four times worse than Grace's. Wow. There's so many of them. And you can't, it's like, oh my gosh. And that of course is why I'm doing, I'm, I'm uh, posting the current research about medical murder is yeah. the one cause of death by design because it is by design. So what happened after Grace died, so now you already learned I went to the hospital afterwards. So now I, I was really weak. We had Grace's funeral, I think, on the 27th of October. I was down to 146 pounds. 
And, but I still, you know, I was on oxygen and, but I was recovering. And then a doctor who was a friend of Cindy and mine from high school, she called me and said, Scott, you better get the records. Because that night of Grace's death, one of the nurses walked out. So our pastor was there. He walked out Cindy in a wheelchair and one of the nurses had Grace's belongings. And she said to Cindy, me and several of the nurses don't think Grace should have died today. So, you know, we think, what is going on? So anyway, this right. doctor called and said, you should get the records, Scott. So I did. I sent in a records request on October 31st. Surprisingly, we, we received 300 pages of records on November 3rd and 4th. So very fast turnaround time. So I sat yeah. down with this doctor and her and I went through these records. And holy cow, it's like, she didn't just die. They killed her. So then on November 8th, I wrote an email to patient relations requesting a meeting with the hospital CEO and the doctor, figuring that they, you know, they have, my biblical responsibility is to meet with the person who sinned against me. But I, you know, at this point, I, I'm still not awake. I just thought, well, they would want to see this research because you wouldn't want this to happen to somebody else, right? Of course. Again, I'm not, I'm clueless at this point as to what's happening. So then on December 2nd, they wrote back and said, we're not going to meet with you. I thought, what is going on? So that's that's how I got on Newsmax because I sent a, I sent an email to Newsmax and Fox with a short summary of the story. I don't know anything about PR, right? But <laughs> right. then all of a sudden Newsmax called and said, will you come on national TV and talk about this? So I did. Mm -hmm. And so then I, I also filed a complaint with the Department of Safety and Professional Services on that day. And I mean, what a shock. They wrote a letter dated January 20th of 2022 and wrote back and said, essentially, you know, we did a sham investigation. Of course, I'm inserting the word sham and the doctor didn't do anything wrong. How is this even possible? So that's when that was the first day of my waking up. Right. First day, because now I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, they're all in on this. And that started a process of researching where then by April, I realized Grace was murdered. Uh, I started then digging into genocide. I dug into the Holocaust and realized this is there's a Holocaust going on. And then I watched a an interview that Alex Newman did with Vera Sherev. I thought, well, nobody's going to listen to a dad talk about the Holocaust when Vera can talk about it. So <laughs> unbelievably, I called her. So I just I called her and she answered. And so I told her uh, who I am. And, you know, she she kind of beat me up on the phone because she was she was vetting me. Right. right, right. Then, <laughs> then we became fast friends. And Vera and I did, I don't know, 25, 30 interviews together. Wow. Um, piggybacking on, you know, my story. And then she could say, you know, she could talk about the Holocaust and that we're in a second Holocaust right now. And she's become a friend. She's, she's, she's wonderful. She is, um, oh my gosh, she's 80. Uh, she's 87. She's, she's in her later eighties. She, she turned her age turned four days after my, I'm not going to announce her birthday on, <laughs> on TV, but we found out we have similar birthdays. Uh, oh, she, wow. had, she had lost her son um, to the psychiatry industry. And essentially we did too. Our son, Travis, committed suicide on October 9th of 2018. And so we had another combination or another um, um, thing that we, we had a similar path. And right. so she really opened up this, 
this seed that this is all by design. Yes. And, you know, then things kept progressing. You know, we filed a lawsuit or we hired, a, we hired the legal team in September. And, you know, that became, you know, that's, that's a big deal. I had already gone through the records, but they needed to go through them to be ready for a lawsuit. So they did. And, and we filed our lawsuit on April 11th of 2023. You know, it's an expensive proposition because sure. you, you really have to be ready. You can't just file a lawsuit. So we, <laughs> right. had, about a, we had about 100000 in legal fees just to file. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this is why nobody is taking on these lawsuits. You know, there, there's no money in these lawsuits. So right. the purpose of the lawsuit isn't about money. It's to expose evil. And people have to realize that, you know, when they hear that you have a lawsuit, they just, they want our attorney's name, you know, because they just want to file a lawsuit too. They don't realize, you know, you've got to have a cash reserve to file a lawsuit because, you know, so, no attorney is going to take these cases on unless they're retired and wealthy because they have to pay their bills too. And there's no right. money in these these medical cases because what's happened is, the state legislatures have put walls around these doctors that really prevent you from suing. Right. Wow. So anyway, uh, that gets you kind of current. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. It, it's it's astounding. So I, you had said that you, I have concluded that you think uh, that at least in part they. Uh, killed her because of uh, Down syndrome. I just want to share a little bit about my personal story. I don't know how much you know about me, um, but this is very, very personal to me. So my mom was sick during first trimester pregnancy, and they had a uh, they had read done a titer testing to see if I'd be affected. Uh, so the opposite, they did lots of testing, but uh, the doctor was dyslexic, and they had so when I was born. I, I was born on a Super Bowl Sunday in the middle of a blizzard, and I was not arriving conveniently for my dad to watch the game. Um, but he didn't just want to watch the game. He wanted his friend, that the OBGYN, <laughs> to watch with him. And I, I was uh, being a bit of a holdup. So they tried to induce labor, and when they did, uh, they shot the epidural, and I had started to crown. So, again, I was very inconvenient. And my mom was tied up with a spinal headache for the first two weeks of my life. All this just to say that when she could hold me after – that two-week period, she felt a lot of things did not make sense, and she was very concerned. And so she started asking them to do testing, and they were covering up because they had suspected the doctor was dyslexic and had made a mistake. Now, if the doctor had read the titer as being 112 at 121, which he read it as being 112, if he had read it as 121, which is what they suspect it was, they would have abort. They would have advised my mom to have an abortion, and she has, you know, said she would have likely aborted me. Um, when they did finally confirm, it was about three months uh, after I was born. I had they determined that I had a cataract in one eye. They did cataract removal procedure back then. Cataract surgery is very different than it is today. They pulled the iris and they left debris behind my retina. They had to go back and do what's called a retinal cleanup. When they did that, they found rubella pigmentation, or what they determined was rubella pigmentation. They found pigmentation behind my sighted eye. And they diagnosed me with congenital rubella. So they they had at that point determined that I was going to be completely blind, completely deaf, autistic, retarded, and immobile uh, or unable to walk. And uh, that the best that my mom could hope was to find a nice institution for me to spend my life. Fortunately, they were wrong. (laughs) 
Um, but I am hearing impaired. I actually learned how to speak by reading lips. I didn't get hearing aids until I was almost six years old. I had heart surgery when I was a year old, several eye surgeries. I was born with hypotonic limbs. So there were several challenges and complications. But I only bring this up to say because they're, my parents actually sued for my birth. It was called the wrongful birth case. So their alternative and the justification, that was the angle the lawyers took because the justification was the alternative was to abort me. And it was because the doctors made this mistake. So I, I just share this because I, you know, I, I think there is, I, I know their agenda, the eugenics uh, messaging. And uh, certainly a lot, it's very similar uh, for Downs. A lot of times they advise the parents to have an abortion. Yeah. Uh, this is very common. I've heard it from so many of my friends from, you know, countless people have shared that story. So uh, it's interesting that that, uh, it's tragic and astounding to hear that that carried out, not just, you know, in at birth, you know, in the beginning of life, wanting to terminate it, but then also later um, when she's flourishing and thriving and, you know, such a wonderful member of the family and such a gift that they still think. And to me, it's just this lie. I feel like, you know, we were sold so many lies, which <laughs> I know you, you've done such a great job of trying to expose that, but one of the biggest lies I feel we're sold is about the value of human life yes. and that this lie that some people's lives are somehow worth more than others and that some people know whose life should be worth having and whose shouldn't. Right. I, I mean, who, who, who decided that somebody gets to decide that? Shouldn't that be? Yeah. I, if you, if you're a person of faith, I would think that that would be, um, you know, God's decision, but, but even if you're not, how grandiose. Yeah. So. Well, that's, that's, that's huge. I mean, I, I didn't know that about you. So, I mean, we have an instant connection and I said in the open, I, I can prove that Grace was murdered because she had Down syndrome. So we'll just start with that. I, yeah. I don't have that slide up. I'll find it, but I'm going to just start with 90% of Down syndrome people are murdered in the womb in the United States, 90%. So that, that's a huge number. So how does that even happen? Right. And that's part of the eugenics philosophy. So in the eugenics philosophy, you know, it's essentially a, they decide if you're a non-contributing member of society. And so non-contributing right. members don't deserve life. And right. Ezekiel Emanuel went on record in 1996 and said, if you are a non-contributing member of society, you don't deserve medical care. Well, he was the chief architect of Obamacare and it got codified. So when you look at this today, you you look at it through that lens of legal. That's yep. one lens to look at it. And that lens produces that they crossed every T and dotted every I before they implemented this COVID PSYOP. And so the COVID PSYOP was all legal. Yep. You know, it's not immoral. It's against the Constitution. But I mean, they did all the, that's why, you know, the federal lawsuits, everything is, nothing's happening. You know, there's okay. a lot of things that are out there, but you know, by the time they stick, they've already accomplished their agenda, assuming they do stick. Right. That's why, you know, with our lawsuit, the, the three-week jury trial starts November 4th of 2024, the day before the presidential election. That's why I'm speaking right. out because who, you know, big deal, you know, it's a jury trial. You know, we're hopeful to win. Of course, we have the truth right. on our side, but yeah. people are still being murdered. That's why I'm speaking out. So now we start with Down syndrome at 90% kill rate before the people are born. All right, so then how does that even happen? And right. Anna Arendt coined the phrase after studying the Adolf Eichmann trial, banality of evil. And that really, when I saw the banality of evil, Courtney, I, I thought, oh my gosh, this is how they do it. 
And so applying it to, uh, you know, the young, I'll just give an example. You know, a young couple gets pregnant today. What do they do? Well, they have already been programmed to buy insurance, trust the white coat. And so now they go in and the, the white coat says, congratulations on your pregnancy. Let's schedule your amniocentesis. And they only care, well, does my insurance cover it? Well, yeah, your insurance covers it. So then they just go along with it. And then that report shows that, you know, he comes in and says, well, we expect your daughter is going to have Down syndrome. I think you should abort her. And you think, well, why would he recommend that? Well, I'm going to show you a document. And while I bring that up, I'm going to tell you that in Grace's case, uh, in Grace's case, her medical record, so Grace was in the hospital for seven days. And when a doctor goes into a patient's room, he has to write a report. And the report that he wrote in Grace's, or the, the, so there's 22 doctor's reports in the seven days. And they referenced the fact that Grace had Down syndrome 36 different times. So that was like ding, ding, ding. So God, this is one of the times, God got me up three different times very early to do research <laughs> in this process. And that was one of them. You know, you know, I wake up, okay, I got to go through the records again and look for Down syndrome. 36 different times. So that would be the equivalent of putting me in there and saying gray hair 36 different times. Right. Right. Or with you, um, she's got an eye problem 36 different times. Does that mm -hmm. change the standard of care? Right, it shouldn't. But it shouldn't. this is how I'm gonna. We're gonna do our first try at presenting here, Courtney. Okay, okay, yeah, great. This is a smoking gun document that I want to. Yeah. All right, there it is. So, okay. so remember what I told you about Obamacare. So Obamacare was passed on March 23rd of 2010. Right. So, and if you look up Section 1553 of Obamacare, I have it on Grace's website. It is okay. the authority to euthanize, also to provide assisted suicide and mercy killing in section 1553. So then you think, well, they can't make people do that. So they, they write training documents. This is a training document for doctors. Wow. And you see it's from the Palliative Care Network of Wisconsin. I'm from Wisconsin as uh, everybody watching knows because I'm the only one who doesn't have an accent. The uh, <laughs> so in this training document, you see, the, so this is why the doctor recommends the person get an abortion because he's trained in this issue. So he thinks a Down syndrome person is nothing but problems. Look at the first right. section, nothing, you know, dental issues, congenital cardiac septal defects, thyroid dysfunction. You know, there's 50 problems, right? right. So now the doctor believes this BS. So now mm -hmm. he, so he's programmed to believe this, right? right? The the young couple's programmed to believe the doctor. So when he recommends an abortion, it's automatic, right? 90%. Right. 90%. Right. This astounding. Okay, so now you we scroll down just a little bit and we see, okay, so now if you believe this as a doctor, because this is how you're trained, what mm -hmm. is your job? Well, you've got to save this family from this nasty Down syndrome person. Right. And Grace was the best thing God ever gave us second to salvation. And she was, she was an angel on earth. Nobody gets to have an angel living with them for 19 years. That, right. that was, that was what they took away, but they actually think they're doing good. I That's know. That's the banality of evil folks. 
All right, yep. so it says in the middle, the lifelong toll on families is high. Think about this BS. The lifelong toll on the families is high. That's a lie. But they've been sold this lie. Part of a robust plan of care includes acknowledgement of this toll by healthcare providers. So then they go to the killing statement. Whenever possible, decision makers for people with Down syndrome should be encouraged to use substituted judgment to make key palliative care decisions. All efforts should be made to determine the preference of the patient. However, because of lifelong cognitive impairment, the views of the person with Down syndrome may not be known. Are you kidding me? Do they know the views of the person with gray hair, the person with dementia, the person with an eye problem? You know, fill in the blank. This is where this is going. And right. we're already there. It's oh, just, yeah. you know, people are not awake to it. So um, I'm going to stop sharing. Sure. Anyway, that I said I would prove that Grace was murdered because of Down syndrome. And, you mm -hmm. know, there's a lot more I have, but this just kind of gives you a perspective of the research that I'm doing on that topic. And it's way bigger than Down syndrome. Way bigger than Down syndrome. And I'm so glad you're exposing it because the programming, the conditioning, uh, and really ultimately the brainwashing is so profound. People don't even realize, you know, we, we, all, none of us are impervious to the programming. Um, you know, we have different blind spots, but, right. but we're all subjected in, in some shape or form. And it's, uh, you know, I actually had a, a discussion with my own mother who said that in the case of children with disabilities, parents should be able to abort the child. And this was a very difficult conversation, as you might imagine. Uh, you know, I, I will preface just by saying I, I don't think that my mom doesn't love me or that she's sorry I'm here. But she's been conditioned to think, you know, a disability is such uh, is such a problem and that that life is so much less valuable and such a burden to the family that it could never be a blessing. It could never be a gift. And that the only option would be, you know, they should have the right to to terminate that life. Right. And if and I think the only reason we can even buy into that lie is because that we have dehumanized human hum, humanity. You know, if you, you, you need to devalue human existence in order to buy into that narrative. And they have done a phenomenal job of the programming. I mean, even back, I went to kindergarten in 1968 and in 1969, you know, this is interesting to me because God gives us some memories that we remember forever. And I don't, you know, and now I know why as with this particular memory, because in 1969, the electric can, the electric can opener was invented. And oh, so the, wow. weekly, the weekly reader that came out in 1969 said, if your parents own an electric can opener, it's irresponsible because there's limited resources. So we shouldn't be using our resources, you know. I'm, I mean, I'm not kidding you. And then wow. number two is worse than number one. They said it's irresponsible to have more than two children. What? So this is the programming in 1969 of a five-year-old me in kindergarten. It's irresponsible to have more than two more children? Than two children, yes. Wow. So this has been going on for a long, 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 long time. Uh, it is... Um, this programming about useless people, right. you know, I mentioned about Ezekiel Emanuel, but what they did, you know, they they want to translate that to money. So I'm going to give you right. some statistics. Right. Medicare and Medicaid, the people on Medicare and Medicaid account for 50% of the federal budget. 50%. There's 135 million Americans on Medicare and Medicaid. 
During COVID, they relaxed the rules, right? The government, this is what they do, right? Let's relax. We're going to put your, our arm around you. We're going to give you, you know, free health care because of COVID. So mm -hmm. they relaxed the rules that increased the numbers on Medicare and Medicaid by 38 million people during COVID. This is, this is by design, okay? Because in the collectivism model, which they've sold, we have to, we, I mean, we can't afford this. This is an astronomical cost. So yeah. here's the numbers. The average bonus paid to a hospital to murder somebody during COVID was 100,000. Some cases substantially more. The average was 100,000. The average cost of a person on Medicare and Medicaid is 33,000 a year. So in a business model, the government has a three-year payback by eliminating that person. Guess what the number one and number two causes of death during the COVID era were for the 1.2 million hospital murders? Number one, elderly. Number two, disabled. Both groups, Medicare, Medicaid. Wow. I mean, this stuff, it, it is, it's so shocking when you start peeling back the layers, but then, you know, you know, ultimately, so now we've caught them, right? Yeah. And it's, so I, I do want to dive into the lawsuit just for a minute because yeah, I want to, I want to poo poo the idea of lawsuits fixing this because right. lawsuits don't fix anything. Lawsuits give you an opportunity to tell the truth. Right. Right. So, you know, because we filed the lawsuit, it's become a national case. It gives me an opportunity and a platform to tell the truth. You know, if we win, fantastic. Right. But, you know, let's say that we win. I just want to give people a perspective here. So mm -hmm. we win. And let's say the judge does the extraordinary, which mm -hmm. he says, this is such an egregious case. And we're going to make an example out of you that we're going to not only say this family won, but you're going to get a billion dollar penalty, Ascension Hospital System, a billion dollars. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we've already said we're not taking the money. It's going, it's getting plowed back into whatever the need is at that time. You know, maybe mm -hmm. more lawsuits. I don't know exactly, but we're not taking any money. Ascension Hospital System, a billion dollar penalty to them is nothing. They save a billion a year in income tax by being a nonprofit. So that is the equivalent of nothing. Wow. We, the goal here is to stop the behavior. So yeah. that's why with our lawsuit, we did something that people don't do, which you know normally you file against the hospital because they have the money, right? right. We filed not only against the hospital, but we filed against five doctors and two nurses because we want all doctors and nurses to be on notice across the whole country. This can happen to you because you can't use following protocols as your excuse to kill somebody, period, end of story. And so that's why we did that. It costs a lot more because now we have many more attorneys that we have to respond to and everything else on the defense side. Uh, so now when you get to the lawsuit itself, I want to share, I'm going to share my screen again, just to show how the shenanigans these guys pull and how our state legislatures are involved. Right. They're not there to protect us. Okay. They're involved. I actually, now I'm going to share, I'm going to share two documents. Oh, you okay. got me, pretty, you got me pretty wound up. <laughs> All right. Okay, great. So we we got to go back to share screen. Yes, the percent. Yep, I am. Uh, let's see. All right, we got another miracle happen. I think it should come up. Ooh, yay! There we go. All right. 
So we filed our lawsuit on April 11th. This is a partial motion to dismiss that was filed on May 15th by one of the defense attorneys. And you know, at the top, you can see all the doctors and nurses that we're suing. Um, But so we have five claims in Grace's lawsuit. And, you know, of course, wrongful death, medical malpractice, but we have a battery claim. And then we have a declaratory judgment for the illegal DNR. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to show you. So remember, they put a do not resuscitate order on Grace. I'm going to show you something else after this one that will really rock you if you're not already rocked. So now this is this is the partial motion to dismiss that one of the defense attorneys filed with the court. And the judge heard this motion on July 14th. That's when he granted our three week jury trial. So now relative to the illegal DNR, this is Mm -hmm. what this is what he wrote. In yellow, the DNR order should be dismissed because A, the issue is not ripe for adjudication and or B, the issue is moot because Grace Shera, the subject of the order, is deceased. What? I, I know. Is That's it what I, she had passed? Yeah. You know, so now because Grace is dead, we can't have a claim? Are you kidding me? You guys are the one who did it. So wow. anyway, this is the type of thing that they do. And the next one is even worse. So... Now, this one shows how the state legislature is involved. So what they try to do is they want to make all these cases about medical malpractice. And they want to make them about medical malpractice because there's no punitive damage there. Medical Mm -hmm. malpractice means it was an accident, right? Right. Right. So that's what they try to do. So then you look at, well, what? why is this? What is going on? So I'm reading the second yellow piece here. The legislature's purpose in enacting a statutory scheme... I mean, you think about the defense attorney actually used the word scheme to govern claims for damages arising out of alleged medical negligence was to encourage healthcare providers to remain in Wisconsin by imposing certain limits on the causes of action that a patient or her family can pursue and the type and amount of damages that can be recovered. So you see how the state legislature is involved with the the scheme. They want to limit malpractice or make, make your claims malpractice because we've got to keep the doctors in Wisconsin. I own a business. Okay. If I screw up, I have to make it right. Of That's course. what you do. Right? Yes. Right. I don't get a, I don't get a wall of protection around me by the state legislature with an excuse. So this is a license. It is becomes a license to kill. And that license to kill is further exemplified by this next document. I got to find. Yeah, here it is. All right. We're going to do one more, one more screen share. Okay. So then in every state, there's a licensing board. Mm-hmm. So remember, I told you I wrote a complaint to the state licensing board. Right. And shockingly, they write back. So you can see this is written by Jennifer Garrett of the Department of Safety and Professional Services. That's the state licensing board in Wisconsin. So regarding the DNR challenge, you see right in the the underlying section, chapter 154, that's the DNR statute of Wisconsin statutes does not apply to physicians operating in a hospital, non-emergency room setting, such as the one in question. So that means a doctor can put a DNR on a person unilaterally without their permission or their family or the power of attorney's position or permission if that patient is in a hospital. Wow. This is, I mean, it is so evil. So you see, they are literally all in on it. They're all colluding. 
Yeah. And they, I, I would imagine a lot of them, I, I guess some of them know, but a lot of them probably don't even see anything wrong with it. Well, they don't because remember, they think that they're doing us a favor by taking grace out, right? Exactly. Yeah. Which is just so incredibly sinister. So yeah. anyway, that's um, that gives you some insight as to the the research. You know, one of the things that you and I talked about before we we got together on air is I stumbled across a term I had never heard when I was working on the Holocaust mm -hmm. uh, research, which the term was the Hegelian dialectic. And I thought, <laughs> one of my, my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is this thing? And so, I mean, I dug into that. I did it. I actually did quite a deep dive into it. I was fascinated by it. I thought, mm -hmm. my gosh, this is the ultimate propaganda tool. It is. Yep. The ultimate propaganda tool. And I, I thought it was fascinating. I, I went to read on your website how you tied this to the Genesis story. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 Let me let's start with that. That's good. I'll bring that up. Okay. Yeah, I, I do I talk about the the dialectic quite a bit. I've had some roundtable discussions on my podcast about it. Um I think it's absolutely the the it's one of the most ingenious propaganda tools and one of the most ingenious tools to splinter us because ultimately the, I call them the parasite class, but they, they're, they're much fewer of them and they actually need us, right? You can't have, right. I, I believe they want to bring a neo-feudal uh, system, you know, run by a technocratic AI kind of hype work mind that they program uh, with us being in a transhuman leading to post-human world siloed in the metaverse. But you can't have a feudal system if the feuds don't have, if the lords don't have feuds to do their bidding. So they actually do need us. Uh, yes. They would prefer to have much less of us because then we'd be easier to control, you know, hence get rid of the useless eaters and we'll just keep the ones that we can manipulate and control to do our, our bidding for us. But if we were to all unite really as, and really be, I call it be radically human and radically in the sense of the, the, the etymology of the word to be deeply rooted in humanity, then we would deal with each other as individuals yes. and we would, we would unite that way. It sounds like oxymoronic, right? To think that, you know, uh, accentuating and celebrating the individual would actually un further unite us. But what they want to do is splinter us into groups and they want to take the groups that already exist and further splinter them. You know, I, I call it the, uh, um, the triple D's that they worship. It's, uh, the first one is the distortion, the, uh, they, they obfuscate, they distort, they invert in order to manipulate and, you know, uh, to confuse us and mislead us and misguide us. And then the other one is to, this is where the Hegelian dialectic is so relevant, is the divide and conquer, because yes. that's a breeding ground for chaos. Chaos is a, use, is a breeding ground for usurpation of power. And then, of course, the last one is destruction, because, again, that breeds chaos. But it's also, you know, why I call them the death cult, because that's the ultimate destruction, right? So. I mean, we saw the Hegelian dialectic with COVID. It's so easy to see it in hindsight, right? So they, they, you know, and what's interesting about the Hegelian dialectic, it can be a tool for problem solving in real sure. time. But sure. when it's used as a tool to manipulate, it becomes uh, evil. So with COVID, you know, we, we have a prescripted pandemic. Okay, so that's mm -hmm. so in simple terms, Hegelian dialectic, problem, reaction, solution. So the okay. problem, this pandemic, COVID, okay. right? The reaction, fear, 
the solution, mm-hmm. the jab. So, right. you know, so they cause the fear reaction by all the pounding on TV, death numbers, death numbers, and they create these murders in hospitals. You know, the United States, number one on the planet, which I have a reason. I just recorded part three of the series. And, you know, the I believe that the reason that we had the number one deaths on the planet is it was also by design. Because if the United States is mystery Babylon and we are deceiving the world by our pharmacia, it fits like a glove as to what's going on here, right? Yep, the pharmacia, the sorcery. Um, so it seems like that, you know, that's what I, you know, I'm not a prophet, I'm not a Bible scholar or anything like that, but, you know, I'm just a dad. That's, you know, just really, that's <laughs> like, my only criteria is I'm, you know, I'm a dad. Yeah, but you're, I, I'm you're doing- motivated. Yeah, you're doing a great job. I I will just uh you know chew for for those who are listening in terms of the Hegelian dialectic because it, it has a very deep uh, philosophical root. I I would argue that the first codification, not necessarily the first inception, but the first codification of it comes from Plato, the dividing line, right? You had the intelligible realm, the dividing line, the inintelligible realm. From there, it went to Kant. Kant is actually the one who said thesis, antithesis, synthesis. A lot of people attribute that to Hegel, but those were Kant's uh, terminology. And then Hegel said the abstract, negative, concrete. And I, I, I really tried to clarify this a lot because I think it's so important because the negative, he actually used, you know, this was written in German because Hegel was German and he used the word Aufheben. And Aufheben is a very interesting word because it's a, it's a very paradoxical word. It means to lift up while tearing down. And this is where we get the concept that the Frankfurt School really uh, codified and utilized, which is Aufheben de Kultur. And that's so much of what we see today when they use that to, you know, they they have the shell of these terms, but in, essentially they're, they have no meaning. They destroy them and obliterate them from within. And that is largely how they succeed in, you know, so much of the confusion and, uh, you know, demoralization that they create and the splintering of people. So I, I just wanted to add that for well, I mean it's it's a great addition. I mean, you you have studied this way more than me. I mean, when I saw it, I saw, oh my gosh, they're using dialectics all over the place. And yeah. you know, I, I take it way back before Plato, as you know, and I'm gonna just mm-hmm. share did, yeah. the, did the screen share come up? Yeah, okay. So yeah. I just want to go to this this quick slide here. See if it comes all right. Yeah, I think it definitely began way before Plato. I just think yeah. Plato codified it. He was, he was one of the, the first, first one who codified it, right? So, yeah. you know, I'm taking this all the way back to the garden. So mm-hmm. in the garden, we had Satan offered Eve what? So you go to Genesis chapter three, and Satan offered Eve the knowledge, the tree of knowledge. And he said that you know he was offering that she would know the difference between good and evil. Well, of course. That we know that was a lie because mm-hmm. Satan could never offer good, right? Satan can only offer evil and less evil, but never good. Mm-hmm. All right, so that became this is really becomes the idol that we start chasing, and it is why the medical idol has been able to be successful because. God is not against knowledge, right? Hosea mm-hmm. 4, 6, my people perish for lack of knowledge. But right. when knowledge replaces God, he is against that because we're not yes. supposed to have idols. So now right. we start chasing the medical idol and pretty soon, you know, we're complete zombies. You know, I was right. a zombie thinking, you know, I don't have to critically think the hospital's there for my benefit, right? Mm-hmm, right. So, you know, so, you know, my my daughter lost her life because I was on the Satan side 
when I took her to the hospital. You know, I was buying into the tree of knowledge. And again, I'm not against knowledge. God's not against knowledge. But when knowledge replaces God and we think that man can do everything, right. that's the problem. So God always offered the tree of life. That's and, Gnosticism, right? Yes. Essentially. Yeah. So a, a different way that you can look at this, you say, I mean, people will use the word integrity and character. So mm-hmm. those are just common words. So what does integrity mean? The people who are implementing the agenda to manage the planet and manage the people, okay, those are people of integrity. Yeah. Okay. Because they actually are simply implementing with a vengeance what they believe. Mm-hmm. So their their belief is wrong, right? right? But they are people of integrity. Right. You can't become a person of character until you're one of God. So integrity plus wisdom gives you character. Right. And so God always offered wisdom. He offered the tree of life. You can't get wisdom unless you're one of his, because Mm -hmm. you can't, you can't see, you can, before you're one of God, you can only sin by definition. Wow. Once, Once you're one of God's, now you have the choice. You truly have no free will until you're one of God's because now you truly do see evil versus good. Before that, you can only do evil. So a simple example, Courtney, so you see in the newspaper, a man gave a million dollars away to charity and -hmm. everybody thinks, oh, that's a great guy. (laughs) The better way to say it is we have no idea because God only cares about the heart. We don't know why the man gave it unless you get to know the man. And so we can't just assume that the action, because the action looks good, he could be a man of integrity, but he, he's may not be a man of character. Right. So this is why I take it all the way back to the garden. And then we should just go through a couple of examples. How how devious this thought process is. It is. This isn't a fancy slide, but it is, it, it does give, so these are examples of dialectics. So there's okay. there's two types of dialectics. There's exoteric dialectics. These are ones that anybody can see if you're paying attention. Mm-hmm. And then there's esoteric dialectics, which right. I want to also cover. So uh, esoteric Maybe means very- esoteric are, are more uh, deceptive and uh, much more dangerous, I think. Oh, my gosh. Way more dangerous. Right. So, you know, the the one that I first saw, when I first saw the Galen dialectic, I saw, oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's right. They <laughs> They set up. You know, obviously the alphabet networks are evil, but then they sell us as good Fox uh-huh. and Newsmax. But no, they're just less evil. Right. And you can exactly. see it if you just if you pay attention because they're advertising for Pfizer. Okay, so that yeah. can't be good, right? And <laughs> the um the one that is it, it really hits people between the eyes if you look at uh, critical race theory. Obviously, that's yeah. bad, right? Sure. So then, you know, when I would talk with parents about critical race theory and they would say well we don't in my school they still say the pledge of allegiance so i'm calling that less evil not good mm-hmm. all right? right so why because you can't pledge allegiance to a flag doesn't right. work okay mm-hmm. i'm not against the pledge of allegiance but i'm just saying that is not good mm-hmm. we only can pledge allegiance to god period so that's mm-hmm. this this is the idea so they spin these things to get us, you know, look at the abortion dialectic. Yeah. Right? So then in, in the last uh, election, that was the first election I did not vote in. And mm-hmm. the reason is there was no candidate to vote for. So we had in Wisconsin, we had um, 
Mandela Barnes, I think was his name, was the Democrat. Ron Johnson was the Republican. Okay. And then the week before, I listened to a pastor, and he was explaining their both of their positions on abortion. So okay. Mandela Barnes' position was abortion on demand, and Ron Johnson's position was abortion exceptions. So as the pastor pointed out, they're both murderers. It's just a matter of degree. Yeah. So. So that's how they get us into the abortion dialectic. The only way to out to get out of those dialectics is to realize God doesn't isn't in any of those. So right. we have to look outside. So we can solve the abortion dialectic very simply. God doesn't allow abortion. Period. There's no exception. It just is. Right. Because you know God doesn't allow us to murder. Exactly. Then. This one is, so when I, I look at this from a, a macro point of view, Satan, what is Satan's goal? It's very simple. He wants souls. Mm -hmm. right? So he wants them either physically, and that's what's going on right now. You know, there's a physical destruction of mankind. We have a 24% increase in all-cause mortality for people who got the jab. And it's going to okay. get worse. Okay, yeah. and This is on purpose. It was by design. So then... That what I saw, you know, when I first started explaining Grace's um, story, Courtney, mm -hmm. God, God really got me to see that you can't be just sh uh, sharing evil because it fits into Satan's esoteric plan. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the media, you will see there's a race to expose evil. Yeah. Every week there's something worse, right? Uh, two weeks ago, breast milk in or mRNA technology in breast milk, right? right. You know, say, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Well, you better believe it, folks. This is this is by design. And right. exposing evil is by design. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so let me connect the dots because this is the esoteric Hegelian dialectic. Okay. So yeah. Exposing evil is by design. Why? Because if you look at Revelation, uh, oh boy, where is the beast system? Revelation, whatever. One of the chapters yeah. of Revelation has the two beast systems. Okay. You know, so we have the Antichrist system, which we're in, that's the evil system, and then we have the false prophet system. Well, the false right. prophet system is Satan reinventing himself as the angel of light. Well, you can't be an angel of light until the whole population sees the evil. Then you can invert yourself as the angel of light. And then the control grid is completely snapped into place. And that's what I see as the esoteric Hegelian dialectic. I know that's a lot to take in. If somebody's mm -hmm. just hearing this for the first time, this is a good time to pause, pause the video. It's a lot. It took, a, you know, for me to process that, I ended up writing a paper on it in in January, I think it was. Yeah, January of last year, I wrote a paper on it because it was so intense, my studying of this. I thought, my gosh, this is this is huge. There's going to be a major inversion, inversion. And what I saw at that time was the Patriot movement mm -hmm. was not seeing the inversion coming. Yep. They kept saying, we just got to stand as a block. You know, we're just going to stand against masks. We're going to, you know, I agree, we need to do that out of obedience to God. But what they were missing from the argument is we got here by rejection of God. And so you can't stand against evil without first acknowledging how we got here and repenting. And that mm -hmm. was missing from the equation. And, and you know, for the most part, I see that it still is. So anyway, that's what I see as the esoteric. Yeah. I'd like to uh, discuss that a little bit because I think that that is something uh 
that it's really hard for a lot of people to grasp. I think they they can look at evil, you know, something that's overtly evil and something that's overtly overtly harmful or damaging, and you can point to it and you can, as you said, stand against it. But I think what is really challenging for a lot of people is that sometimes the, uh, and and I guess it would be, uh, you know, in in your framework, you could put it as like the, the false light that a lot of people are, they're deceived. And, you know, we saw this with COVID where, or even, you know, in the case of like your, your daughter or the advice, you know, that the doctors would have given my mom, you know, they thought a lot of these people, now the eugenics, I think (laughs) the eugenicists, I think a lot of them might actually have nefarious intention. Um, But a lot of the people who are uh, taught this and indoctrinated, they they don't know. They genuinely think they're doing good. They right. think that this is better for all parties involved, better for elevating humanity, and they're just deceived. And I think that that's where this is falls into this esoteric dialectic because it's a lot of times things that we can't see. And I see t- typically, uh, you know, well, this psyops tar- they have a target audience, and I think that. Typically, I usually talk about, you know, I hate to talk about left and right politically because I think that they're, you know, really designed to perpetuate the dialectic and further uh, control and deceive the masses. Uh, but I do think that the the powers that shouldn't be, if you will, they tend to ideologically align with the left, but they actually advance their agenda through the right because the right, they'll give the talking points, right, and pacify people while they can actually then implement policies that get them closer to their, their Tilios. And they typically, their target audience is the right, which is why I think it's, you know, multifaceted. Partly the right tends to value uh, individualism more so uh, than the left, ideologically speaking, who tend to favor collectivism, generally speaking. Uh, So it's easier to target them this way, but also they are the target audience and therefore they target them to splinter them. So you have these different groups, you know, and I'll just name some of them that people might be familiar with, like the MAGA group, the truther group, you know, the, the patriots, uh, the uh, fiscal conservatives, you know, the list goes on and on. But right. in those movements, they tend to plant these seeds. Um, and typically with PSYOPs, it's actually, I use the ice cream cone analogy. So there's, it's actually like 90% truth or 95 sometimes. And right. then there's right. this one lie, right? So the ice cream cone analogy is that you've got a hook gripping lie. This is the ice cream cone. You want to eat the ice cream cone because it's a really, you know, it's really tasty and, and you want it. So, but you know, it's a lie and you're like, okay, that's really not good for me. I'm going to put that away. But then they have all these sprinkles and they're all these sprinkles are truths. And you keep, you know, eating the sprinkles. You're like, okay, well, this must be okay. There's a lot of truth here. And before you know it, you've eaten the whole cone. And at that point, you're bought in. You're bought into the lie. And that's typically what they do. They plant these into these different groups. And not to say they don't do this on the left. They do, but they do it. the, The target audience is usually on the right. And that's why you have so much splintering and division and it that makes it much easier for them to to conquer and achieve their their goals. So, boy, do I like that that mainstream <laughs> one analogy. Uh, that is that is exactly what is happening. It is spot on. So you know, a graphic. I'll just show this graphic on the slide, and then we can move on to sure. You know, so if we don't have you know, the world offers two choices. You know, right. the great reset is being sold to us as the evil, but then. Is the Great Awakening really good? 
uh, or is it just the less evil? So this graphic kind of helps, you know, the world, you know, we got to get out of the world. The only way out of this is to check completely out of the Antichrist and the false prophet system. And that the way out of that is through repentance, period. There is no, there is no path. There's no man that is going to save us. There's not going to be a new religion that saves us. There's none of that is going to save us from what is going on. And, you know, they're, they're trying with a vengeance with the esoteric agenda to snap the control grid in place. Then we, you know, we've sold our soul at that point. Right. So I think just to clarify um, for the audience, and I might be wrong on this, but I think kind of what you're saying is because you you talked about uh, that, you know, knowledge itself isn't bad, but it's when it becomes more of a, a Gnostic re reverence of knowledge where you believe so much in knowledge that you think man can actually supersede God and become kind of his own God by, you know, as a result of that. Uh, and that's kind of, so I don't think that it, the awakening is necessarily a bad thing, but I think that when we're constantly grabbing onto, you know, some sort of knowledge or a uh, system of knowledge as being the the salvation uh, for people, that that's, that's where it gets kind of tricky. And that also le leaves us very vulnerable to being deceived. So oh, I think that's that's right on. I mean, a great awakening would be fantastic. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> the great awakening that is being sold doesn't include repentance. So right. that is what I'm talking about. If if God is, you know, I don't know what God's timeline is. Nobody does. Jesus said right. only the Father knows. Okay, so when is that timeline? Right. Uh, you know, some of the people I've listened to say it depends on us. You know, from our perspective, it does depend on us. You know, from God's perspective, of course, he's sovereign. He already knows. But from our perspective, you know, God has shown many, many times, you know, the, the repetition in the Old Testament is when my people repent, what happens? But we've got to repent, period. Yeah. I mean, so then there can be a great awakening, but there is not going to be a great awakening. It will be a false prophet great awakening if it's done without repentance. And it will be short-lived. Right. Right. Absolutely. So, well, yeah, this has been incredible. I, oh, I also wanted to address, you talked about, you mentioned very briefly your son. You said that your son uh, was kind of a victim of the psychiatry industry. That's something I've actually done quite a bit of a deep dive on as well. Um, I've done a lot of research on the Tavistock Institute. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Uh, okay, it has its origins. It was uh, it stems from the Wellington House, which was known as the British Propaganda Bureau, that was created to garner acquiescence for uh, the Britons and the United States to engage in World War One. They were very instrumental, of course, in uh, the propaganda for World War Two, but also in creating the movement uh, for psychiatry. Uh, which was largely instrumental in uh, some so much of World War II as well. So I all this just to say I've done a very deep dive on the origins of the field of social science, the field of psychology, the field of psychiatry. And uh, I, again, feel like I have to qualify everything. I'm not saying that everybody who goes into this field is inherently, you know, nefarious or right. sinister. I think a lot of people go in thinking that, you know, they're going to find answers and really help humanity and help people. Uh, and a lot of people do actually do great work. So, you know, I don't want to take that away from them. But when you look at the origins, uh, there's a lot of ties to, you know, the secret societies, Illuminati, Skull and Bones, um, and very occultic 
practices, dark occult practices, magic, hermeticism, alchemy, ment- you know, like things like mentalism. Uh, Jung himself was a mystic. Uh, Freud was always talking about wanting to be able to read minds and control them. So this was a lot of the work that laid the foundation, the groundwork for the field of psychology, and then later for the field of psychiatry, which you know put drugs on top to be able to. Uh, control people. And of course, it then assisted the pharmaceutical industry to be able to continue this business model because, you know, all drugs have their side effects. And, you know, typically people become dependent uh, or have other side effects and then need other drugs to uh, cure, uh, treat those symptoms as a result. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so I'm, I, I was just to share where I'm coming from. So I'm curious about your son. Yeah. Well, I mean, Travis was 30 when he committed suicide and he was our only son. I mean, it's, uh, you know, so the med combination got him, uh, Sorry. He, he ended up being, he was depressed, but then at that point we weren't awake to meds. So I just thought, well, I mean, that, that can be fine. I mean, he, he had to make his own choice. He was an adult, but then he ended up uh, with some pain and he got another med and the, there was never a cross check with the meds. And 30 days after he started the new med, he had suicidal thoughts and, and he was gone. And, you know, now that I understand what's going on with meds, you know, I'll just give you a perspective. I just taped the, the uh, pharmacia episode on this last Wednesday. And so I dug into what, what are the real numbers? So the United States we only have 4.2% of the world's population, but we consume uh, 44% of the world's meds. We have 4.73 billion prescriptions written in the United States annually for 333 million people. You know, this is, it is, it is um, truly a uh, medical idol culture. You know, that's what we have. I mean, anything but but a healthy lifestyle, healthy food, you know, we, they're of course poisoning us with the food, you know, they're all in on this, Mm -hmm. but I mean, it's also the population we're in on it too. You know, think through, you know, there's been so just take masking with COVID because everybody's familiar with that. Of course the masks are, are, you know, it's a complete lie. So if the day when they announced that you have to wear a mask to get on airplanes, if nobody would have done that, it would have stopped. Of course. Right. So, I mean, that's how programmed we are. And, you know, I want to, I actually want to dive into a couple of slides from my series just to give people a taste. So remember this series is called medical murder is the number one cause of death by design. So I, I already on the website is the, so I'm doing uh, (laughs) seven sections. (laughs) Uh, Wow. Okay. So seven, uh, who, what, where, so who and what are already on the website? Where was taped this week? It'll be on Monday. So who, what, where, uh, why, how, and when. Great. Just like you would research anything. Right. right? And then number seven is now yeah. what? So now yeah. that you believe this, right. what do you do with it? So that's yeah. the seven-part series. And I, I have, I'm going to just hit a couple of slides Great. With, with each one to give people a perspective of what's of what you can find if you go on the website. And these are recorded on Rumble. So I have my own okay. Rumble channel, Deprogram yeah. with Grace's dad. And that's where the stuff is. You know, so you can get the recording. Of the, there, there's PowerPoint presentations, but the PowerPoint presentations really only give about 50% of the research for each topic because I tried to make these all under an hour. And so I have the detailed research that's posted on the, on the website. All right, so... 
what I want to share here, so you see, I see it by design. I'll just quickly hit this so that people realize the, even historically, I think I said this at the beginning, even the CDC realizes that medical malpractice was number three. So annually before COVID, we had 700,000 people die of heart disease, 600,000 of cancer, 400,000 from medical malpractice. You know, and I've, I've proven beyond a shadow of a doubt murder medical murder is number one in the, you know, these other ones aren't even a close second. So I'm going to just go to an example here of what happened with, with COVID. So did I, did I talk about United health group at the beginning? I was no. on a, okay. I was on a different show okay. right, yeah. right before yours. Let's say, Oh, I have one right after too. So sometimes, you know, okay. So United health group it is, all the blends, largest, I know. <laughs> is the largest in the United States. They're the okay. 11th largest company in the entire world. So with COVID, what they did for hospitals is they said, we've got to incentivize these hospitals. That was the excuse they used because mm-hmm. in a pandemic, they're not going to have all their surgeries, all their normal sources of income. So let's incentivize mm-hmm. them. Right. Right. Before COVID, the stock price of United Health was $215 a share. The day COVID ended by law, which that's another, you know, psyop, right? It was $521 a share. That means their value went from $200 billion to $500 billion as a result of COVID. I mean, this is a shocker, right? All right. So then... Uh, you know, your your knowledge base is incredible, way bigger than mine. So the Brooke Jackson case, are you familiar with the Brooke Jackson case? I, I'm not, actually. Okay, well, Brooke Jackson filed the False Claims Act case against Pfizer. She became a federal whistleblower because she worked for Pfizer, realized they never did any testing. So that case was filed in January of 2021. Pfizer came back in October of 21. This has all became public record already by October of 21, that we didn't, we had a contract with the Department of Defense to produce this thing, and it was never meant to be a vaccine. It was always a prototype. So that's why they didn't have to do any defense or any testing. That was their defense. So now this is already out in the public. Blue Cross Blue Shield, after this is public, so we know this thing has never been tested, okay? Mm-hmm. They put together an incentive program for their family practitioners that if mm-hmm. they could convince 75% of their patients to get the jab in the last quarter of 2021, they would receive a $296,000 bonus. Unbelievable. And this is these are this is a shock. All right, so then I, I want to uh, I'm going to go to the so that's that's a I, taste taste of the so the who basically is they're all yeah. in on it. We have right. of course the medical industrial complex, the federal government, right. the state government, big business, the churches. The churches yeah. are in on this. Because well, they watered down Romans 13 and 14. We have churches that closed down and got PPP grants. What happened to new, do not fear? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then last is controlled opposition. So that make that that gives you a well, taste of the first one. I will just add uh the the you said the medical industrial complex, and there is the military industrial complex. And you know, when you said that there are no testing, there were there were no uh clinical trials like medical trials. However, uh we did have Moderna is uh, from DARPA, right? And they were doing the experiments with the uh, modified RNA under the guise of uh, cancer treatments, and it failed miserably. So they were not having good results with uh, with any of that. So there was lots of deaths and adverse reactions there. So you know they they had a sense that this was not going to go so well, and yet they they rolled it out. And there was the the lawsuit between Pfizer and Moderna, right? Because yes. Moderna, yeah, they stole the technology supposedly. Yeah. 
<laughs> and it's all it I mean when you see it, when I see it now, I see it as of course a complete psyop. Yes. Uh, all right. So then now the, the second one had the cut. So the what is the culture of death? And that's the eugenics culture yep. of death. So, I mean, I have a lot of slides here. I want to yeah, hit just great. Two, I'm just going to hit two of them very quickly. Okay. Yeah. One is this document yeah. from 1967, the plan to depopulate the United States. Uh, this is, remember I told you I went to kindergarten in 68 and 69 and here the, right. they were implementing this plan in with kindergartners in 1969. So you can see right in this plan, they have, they're promoting chronic depression. They're promoting fertility control agents in the water supply. Yeah, this is, this is sick stuff. I have the entire um, memo on this on Grace's website. This is just the highlighted portion. So people can see that this has been going on for a long time. And so what about in today's, literally today? So I just received this document two weeks ago. This is an absolute shocker. So this is the, it's called my chart with Ascension. This is how you can access your records online via my chart. So look what it says. Parents, you are removed from the system when the patient turns age 12. By, by stroke of a pen, by the hospital system deciding. So the parent now has no access unless the teen can grant the parent a proxy access. If the teen grants the parent proxy access, the parent by the hospital, not by any law or anything, the parent has no access to social history information such as sexual activity, substance abuse, no ability to for the proxy, which is the parent to schedule, cancel, review, or confirm appointments or past appointments, and no access to sensitive lab or radiology reports. So you can't, you know, sign for anything yourself until you're 18, but in a hospital at 12, you have full agency and the parents are completely locked out. Unless you... Yeah. Wow. That, that is really. This is it, shocking it, stuff. It, I mean, it's shocking. It's like, you know, that those are their plans, but to see that in writing is just really, yeah, it's shocking. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. This has um, been this has really been great. I mean, I this type of interview where we can go back and forth like this. And uh, I mean, you you have I mean, you have a gift of research too. I can tell, and you know, God gave me that gift, and I you know, I'm just trying to share it to help people. Yeah, you're doing such a fantastic job. I I'm so grateful for what you're doing. I'm you know, I'm so sorry for your losses, but I am so grateful that you've taken this and, you know, turned it into something to be able to inform and help others. I mean, we're, we're all really just so blessed that you're doing this work. So, so thank you for being here. If you have anything else you want to share, I know you, you need to hop off soon. So I want to respect your time, but if you have anything else you want to share, and also I'll just open up for the audience. I did put up a donut chat. If you have any questions uh, that you want to have either of us answer uh, I think we have like a few minutes. You, you sure. can do that. So I can, and, and, uh, what I would close with is a couple of things. One is we know I've already shared Grace's main website, mm-hmm. ouramazinggrace.net. We also have another website, gracesherrod.com. It's more of a landing page and tribute to Grace. But the reason that one's important is we're we're wanting anybody listening. So the one one solid action step you can do is go to that yeah. website and sign up. My daughter, Jessica, is running that site. She sends out legal updates regular, regularly, but we're uh, wanting to develop our own mailing list because we're expecting 
calls to action as our lawsuit proceeds. And the easiest way to do that is to contact people directly. So that's what we're asking for. Uh, it's pretty simple, you know, take take you uh, less than 10 seconds to sign up. So if you go to grayshare.com, enter your name and email, you'll get a nice thank you back from my daughter. And uh, that will link you to the other website at the same time. These websites link, link to each other, but it's just easier to go to grayshare.com. And then people often ask, what can you pray for? And um, yeah. I was thinking about that as I was driving to my office today and you know, there's a there's a few things we have a you know from a very specific thing we have the next hearing for two more motions to dismiss coming up on October 30th, and so we want everything to survive to the trial. So yeah. you could pray for that specifically that all elements of our case survive. Uh, you could pray specifically for the repentance of the doctors and nurses who did this to Grace and the doctors and nurses who are doing this that their eyes will be opened that yeah. they are they are no longer blind and they can see what is taking place because they are on the front lines they could stop this faster than anybody and you know i don't want even the people who killed grace i don't want them to spend eternity in hell and then as far mm -hmm. as for me personally you know i you know this type of thing when you're in it 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 becomes all consuming and i don't want you know we're blind to our own pride and I don't want to have, you know, I've, I've asked God, do whatever you need to do to make, to have me be closer to you, to be like you. And, and that process means breaking your pride. So, you know, I, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, people want to pray for that so that I, yeah, I, you can't break your own pride. It's not possible. And I don't want to, I, I want to represent him in this in this process. And so that's, uh, that's, that's what came on my heart this morning is I was, I was listening to a podcast coming to my office and that's on my heart. Oh, that's so beautiful. Well, thank you so much. And is there anything, uh, can people make any kind of contributions? Uh, certainly we welcome all the prayers and, uh, support, but is there a, a space on, uh, either of the web pages to help with any of the financial, uh, legal, so we have, yeah, it's on, uh, there's a give, send, go that's on both websites on graces, the graceyard.com. There's a direct right. button for a donate button if people want to do. Uh, I know how expensive go. that gets. So. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's costly. We've got a lot into this, but you sure. know, our, our real good followers, just so everybody knows the real good ones, and you're certainly welcome to do this, is they send us a blank check. And then we fill in the number. So if you really want to follow us, just <laughs> you get, you get one last there. <laughs> you get one last crack at my humor. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today and for all that you're doing. And I, you know, I'm so sorry for your losses and my deepest consultant condolences to you, you and your family. But I, I think that they would be incredibly honored that you're, you're not, it's not, it's not lost. It's not in vain that there's hopefully many future lives that can be saved as a result. So thank you, Courtney. This is really a blessing to be on with you today. This was, it was really nice. <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, I don't think we have any, uh, I'm just again, putting it out there, but if anybody has any direct questions, I don't see any. Um, and if you do, you know, reach out to either of us uh, directly and I'm sure we'll be happy to answer. So, all right. Well, thank you. Thank you.
podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.